Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another Alliant Employee Benefits Compliant with Alliant podcast, bringing you insights into employee benefits compliance. I'm your host, Christine Blanco. I'm an attorney here at the Alliant Employee Benefits Compliance Department, and today I'll be talking with Diana Craig, my trusty podcast companion. Hi, everybody. Also an attorney here in the Alliant Employee Benefits Department. So today we're going to tackle at least in part, attempt to tackle the topic of paid family leave provisions. So state-required paid family leave provisions. Um, I guess paid family medical leave provisions. So we've been seeing a lot of this, and it seems to be the bane of most people's existences. Yeah? Well, definitely. And I just want to say we're not tackling them everywhere because that would be just ridiculous. But we're going to hit a few of the major jurisdictions Mm -hmm. that cross our desks, And those would be, you know, California is always coming up. Um, Washington is our new one. And then, Chris, your favorite? Uh, New York paid family medical leave. So, yeah, we're going to to run through those because those are, California's been around for a while. New York um, went into effect, I think, back in 2018. And uh, Washington is is up here in 2020 with um, payments beginning in 2019, right? So... I want to level set before we, we get into this, and anyone who's heard me talk about leaves is probably going to be really sick about sick of this. It's uh, what I always go to is what do we talk about when we talk about leaves? Because it's a fairly amorphous concept. You know, we're talking about employer policies. We can be talking about state requirements. We can be talking about workers' compensation. We can be talking about short-term disability leave that's paid for by a carrier. There's you know there's all kinds of um, different topics we could be, you know, addressing when we talk about leaves. And I want to really narrow the focus here. So when we talk about leaves, we want to talk about whether there's job protection, whether there are, whether there's benefits continuation, and whether there's wage replacement. All leaves have some of those components, if not all of those components. And historically, we've really seen the leaves have usually only one component, like FMLA. We're not going to talk much about FMLA except as it relates to um, how it coordinates. But that was job protection and benefits continuation. Did not include wage replacement, right? But what we're seeing in these states are sort of all three of these, wage replacement, benefits continuation, job protection, but they're all accomplished in different in different ways. Yeah, I mean, this is honestly what's been making me crazy. Um, and I was actually at a dinner party at a friend's house over the weekend. Again, with the social job. I know. <laughs> of course, I was talking Don't invite about, her to your dinner parties. Never invite me, because I just talk about Washington paid family and medical leave right now. Um, so it's super no fun. But friend looked at me and said, well, aren't they all essentially the same? And I just about <laughs> fell over. Because no, I mean, each state takes its own sort of crack at it, and it makes it really challenging. That's right. And I think the differences that we'll see really are, you know, how it's funded, the definition of family member, the definition of eligible employees, whether it's state administered, whether it's employer administered, whether it's carrier administered. And a lot of that, from an employer perspective, you really need to know the answers, right? Because you need to understand what are you going to have to do? What is your lift going to be? on these new mandates. Well, and clearly today, I'm going to be talking a lot about Washington Paid Family Medical and Leave Act, because again, right <laughs> that, that's all I talk about these days. We're going to hit on California and then Chris, New York, right? Um, but there are others out there, but these are the big ones that have really percolated up. We do want to hit on those, but before um, we get there, and we will get there, I want to talk about some just common pain points we have when dealing with um, 
any sort of family medical leave, but uh, in particular these state um, paid family medical leaves are, you know, how do they differ from FMLA? You know, where can you get into trouble? Because, you know, FMLA has been around for a long time. Um, it's still challenging, but you're probably fairly used to that. Well, they do. These provisions do differ from FMLA. So when do they run concurrently and when don't they? That's really important to know. How do they coordinate, if at all, with your existing PTO policies? Very common pain point. The question I think we get most often is, I already have a policy in place. Doesn't this work for this? And the answer is, unfortunately, almost always no. Um, And you always, my recommendation would be, you always want to know how it works in a pregnancy-related leave situation. So for California, New York, Washington, if you can get a cheat sheet down, and we have examples, I think, in in our materials, and we do have a bunch of materials, um, know how it works for a woman who's going out on pregnancy-related leave. Do we want to start uh, oldest to youngest, and I can kick us off with California? Yeah, let's take a look at California. All right, California, um, thankfully at least has been around for a pretty long time. So we have a kind of a comfort level with that. So when we look at California, um, we know FMLA is going to apply if you have 50 or more more employees. Uh, Generally, eligible employees have worked for an employer for a year and accrued 1,250 hours in the preceding 12-month period. And that can entitle them to federal leave. But then in California, we also have the California Family Rights Act. So that one actually has eligibility that is very, very similar to FEMLA, but it excludes pregnancy-related disability from an employee's serious health condition. So that creates the amazing thing we have here in California, where you can be on 12 weeks of FEMLA leave um, and then follow that with 12 weeks of CFR leave for baby bonding. Then in California, we also have pregnancy disability leave. And that one's interesting because when we look at the employer thresholds, if you have five or more employees, you can be eligible for PDL. So that's pregnancy disability leave from your employer with job protection. And then most recently, just effective in 2018, was the California Parental Leave Act. And that gave employees who work for employers with 20 or more employees, really between 20 and 50, because it cuts off at the um, CFR threshold, a baby bonding leave entitlement. So that was a really interesting addition there. So we're dealing with different size thresholds and, and differing leave entitlements. But important to note, none of those are paid. None of those are paid. But here is what California did. California basically said, look, guys, if your employer will give you the time off, right, so you can have mandated time off either under CFRA, under FEMLA, under Parental Leave Act, under PDL. If your employer will give you the time off and it's a qualifying reason, we will have a wage replacement program that we implement through quarterly payroll taxes. So employer has the obligation of, does the employee get the time off? If so, they can go off and then they apply with the state for wage replacement. And it can be um, SDI for disability, Um, or PFL for paid family leave or bonding leave. So two different components there. Um, Employer manages the leave of absence aspect, and then the state, EDD, specifically manages the wage replacement component. Right, and I think it's important to know, and and this is why it gets confusing. Those are two separate buckets, right? So all of the, the initial leaves that Diana talked about, California Family Rights Act, FEMLA, Parental Leave Act, Pregnancy Disability Leave, those are all state mandated leaves. 
that certain employers are required to comply with, but again, no wage replacement provision. So um, I think they're all job protected, and so they sit over there in, in one one to two buckets, right? Benefits continuation and, and job protection. Yeah, I mean, all of these California leaves are unpaid. They have job protection and benefits and continuation. continuation, but the state picks up that wage replacement piece. That's right. And so, you know, the and so what you're talking about when we talk about in California paid family medical leave, in quotations, you can't see me doing my air quotes. <laughs> She's doing air quotes, furiously. <laughs> it's not quite the same as what we're seeing in New York or Washington because it is completely a state-administered program. The employer has no duty to actually pay. Now, of course, employers have their own policies, but it's a state-administered program. And so California, and I think you know, it's usually on the forefront of these things, it was the way it worked. It's the way they made it happen. So that they sort of divvied up those two things. This is the job protection benefits continuation that we will regulate through employers, and then the state's going to handle the wage replacement. So who do you want to hit next, New York or Washington? Yeah, I'll hit New York. So New York was sort of the first of what I like to call these sort of hybrid leave provisions, um, paid family leave provisions, because it looks a little bit like California, but not quite, because it does all three of the things. It provides job protection, benefits continuation, and wage replacement. And so it has done all of these things in a single place. Now, it is required for basically all employers in the state of New York, and the thresholds of eligibility are different from FMLA. I think it's at 20 hours a week. Um, It's for employees working up to 20 hours a week and um, employed for 26 consecutive weeks and those who work less than 20 hours a week after working 175 days. So different from FMLA. And it's up to eight weeks. And and again, this is paid family leave. New York has a disability component, just like California has SDI, mandated SDI. New York has mandated, they call it DBL, disability leave, for your own illness or injury. And so if you're sick yourself, you're not taking paid family leave under New York. You're taking New York DBL. And at any rate, there's a leave available from eight weeks up to 12 weeks, implementing over a four-year schedule, and it's wage replacement beginning at 50% up to 66%. And so um, it is funded entirely through employee payroll tax deductions on an after-tax basis, and um, and largely administered by carriers. So an employer can self-fund that. But we've seen mostly that the New York disability carriers have come in and they were required to add that into those contracts. Yeah, wasn't that a mandatory rider on their DBL? Absolutely. And so what we're seeing are um, most New York employers satisfy their obligation by way of an insured plan, which to my mind makes a ton of sense. You really, the employee makes a claim directly with the carrier. You could self-fund paid family leave in New York, but only if you're already self-funding DBL and there's a whole bunch of hoops to jump through for that. And so, but, you know, the employer still has some lift there, um, you know, a little bit more than California, um, and obviously more lift if there's all funding, but the the assured nature of the leave um, takes some of that off of the plate of the employer. Yeah, I felt like with New York, I had a really hard time getting my head around the level of sort of carrier mm-hmm. involvement with that. That right. was sort of a... Um, 
counterintuitive for mm-hmm. me, just kind of coming from California. Yeah, and like in every, and also a good thing to note, and we'll talk about it with Washington as well, is, you know, the definition of family member always provides a little bit of a um, sort of a wonky coordination issue because the definitions of family member in most of these state provisions are broader than FMLA. So what that means is you're not going to always, you're going to have coordination with FMLA issues. And so that's something that, again, you want to make sure you're thinking about when you're subject to, to both of those provisions. Yeah, and I think my um, my CIFRA example there w- was sort of um, really illustrative of that because by CIFRA excluding mm-hmm. pregnancy-related disability from mm-hmm. an employee's serious health condition, it all of a sudden meant CIFRA and FEMLA weren't going to run concurrently nope, with mm-hmm. pregnancy. And we see a similar thing with the definition of family member yep. because California, um, CIFRA extends rights to uh, registered domestic partners. Mm-hmm. So, again, they're not going to run concurrently there where there's not total overlap in all those right. definitions. And same with, so example in New York is you have a parent-in-law that's covered, not covered under FMLA. So you have an employee who takes New York paid family leave to uh, care for a, a parent-in-law. That's not going to run concurrently with FMLA. That that entitlement still continues to exist. Um, and we- I just had another thought, and it just left my brain. So why don't you you talk about Washington? Well, I will always fill dead air with talking about Washington paid family and medical leave, at least uh, recently. That hasn't always been my thing I talked about at cocktail parties, but um, let's just say I'm a delight to have over. (laughs) Okay, so Washington paid family and medical leave was something that I felt... um, I don't know if I felt like I was a little asleep at the wheel there on it or something. It was actually enacted by the legislature in June of 2017, but it had this really long implementation runway, so I felt like, well, I don't need to worry about this yet. And basically, the implementation runway ends January 1, 2020, when employees are eligible for paid family and medical leave. But there are really important dates coming up, and those are the ones I kind of wanted to highlight. So we had a date of enactment in 2017, And then now we have um, ESD, the Employment Security Division, in sort of a rulemaking posture. They're making regs that flesh out the statute. So they've been sort of peppering us with regs, and we've been reading and processing those. um, And then lo and behold, a big deadline is coming. So payroll deductions for the wage replacement component of the program need to begin January 1, 2019. Um, you, in most cases, as an employer, are going to just pay that through your normal payroll taxes. And you guys all already do quarterly payroll tax filings. So you start your payroll tax deductions in January of 2019, and then your first quarter of deductions get moved through to ESD with your April, it's April 20, 2019 filing. So that's how that money starts to move. And then lo and behold, January 1, 2020, employees can begin to um, file for and request this leave. And what kind of um, felt really wrong-footed there to me was ESD has done us all a huge favor. They are implementing both the leave entitlement aspect of this program and the wage replacement component. So how it kind of works is the employee is supposed to give the employer notice of the need for leave, uh, ideally 30 days if it's foreseeable, if not, as soon as you can. Then they independently apply with ESD. ESD makes all of the determinations on uh, leave entitlement, wage replacement amount, all of that stuff. So it's a little bit like California Plus. It's California Mm -hmm. Plus. Employers get the option of being really hands-off. ESD is supposed to give the employer notice within five business days of an employee um, requesting the leave. Um, In theory, the employer can contest eligibility, but I don't know necessarily why you'd want to. 
Um, what are the qualifying reasons? Um, family members, serious health condition. Kind same. of the same. Yeah, same as defined by FIMLA. Uh, baby bonding, again, same. Uh, qualifying exigency arising out of a family member uh, being called to active duty, same as FEMLA. Mm -hmm. And then also, of course, for an employee's own serious health condition as defined by FEMLA. Which is different, quite frankly, from New York and also um, California because there's different provisions. Yeah, and there are some areas where the definitions don't line up, but they've told us. They're like, look, if it, if it would run with FEMLA and the reasons are the same, run them concurrently. That's easy. So let me just hit really quickly what the leave durations are because that's the thing the employer just kind of needs to know, even, even though ESD is making all of the hard determinations. So you can get 12 weeks of paid family or medical leave if you need both family and medical leave in a single 52-week period, which I like to say one-year period, but people who are really persnickety often <laughs> correct me on that. Um, you get 16 weeks. And then if you have pregnancy-related complications, you get an additional two weeks. So that can bump you up to 18 weeks of leave. And they're a little bit wonky on benefits continuation and job protection. They said benefits continuation only if it is required under FEMLA. Mm -hmm. So if you are certifying the leave under FEMLA and under Washington Paid Family Medical Leave. Which you should do. You want to start, mm -hmm. if, they, if it qualifies for both, mm -hmm. certify them as both, and then benefits protect, uh, continuation applies. Job protection was interesting. They said job protection really only if, and there's a nuance here, um, if you are a FEMLA covered employer and you have a FEMLA eligible employee, but only really meaning the um, 12 months of service, 1250 hours work, not necessarily the qualifying reason for leave. So that, I said a lot there. Do you want to talk a little about voluntary plans? <laughs> um, well, I guess if I have to. Um, <laughs> you have to. The question is, if, if ESD is going to do all of this, um, what, and they allow for a voluntary plan. So you can comply with this provision by having your own quote voluntary plan, which sounds really good to a lot of employers because they don't want to deal with this mess. However, when when might this make sense? Um, we sort of look at this and think from an administration standpoint, it's really nice to keep this you know off of your plate. We see how California runs; it's run fine for many many years. Um, but if you are focused, if you're a large employer perhaps it makes sense. If you are focused on the employee interface, you want some sort of smooth, connected leave administration uh, employee interface, then perhaps a voluntary plan makes sense. So in addition, so in, in lieu of the state system, you can do a voluntary plan. It requires an application with ESD. You have to offer the same or greater duration as the, the state mandate. Um, equal or better wage replacement, withhold the same or less on the employee's check, and it has to apply to all employees. You don't get to pick and choose. That's a huge one. Yeah, I mean, for this one, it just feels like a voluntary plan. I, I just don't know why. I don't think most employers are going to want to take that on because basically ESD has said we're willing to do everything hard for you. So as an employer, you have to – it has to mean enough to you. Employee experience has to yep. mean enough to you that you're saying – no, no, I, I want to do all of that hard wage replacement math. And, you know, it really might. Like, I mean, we've had conversations um, with a number, you know, of different entities and, and different consultants where, you know, it might. If you can find a carrier who's going to do that and in whom you have the faith to coordinate this all and make this a uniform interface, it may be worth looking at it, but I imagine it's a scale issue. Um, so... 
So at any rate, and you have you have a number of reporting obligations here that don't go away if you do a voluntary plan. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, again, and I don't want to be too negative about voluntary plans, but again, ESDs offer to do everything. They have offered to make the determination on eligibility for the leave and provide the wage replacement piece. So for you to take that back on, um, that's a lot of work, and you don't really get out of anything. You still have to do the same type of reporting up to ESD, So, and it's not hard data. It's data you're moving through in a payroll tax filing generally anyway, just with a little bit more detail and nuance. You still have to give that information to ESD because if that employer changes jobs, they need to be able to make their own eligibility determinations. So I think what the takeaway on Washington Paid Family Leave, and we've, we've focused granularly on that here, I think, because it's new and because there hasn't been a ton of um, dialogue around it. The takeaway, I think, is largely um, what I came away with that was good news for mid-market employers, meaning you know, you, your head doesn't you have to run screaming from the building because of the Washington Paid Family Medical Leave. You are going to be able to offload that to the state to the extent that makes sense for you culturally. Um, if you're a large employer, if and there are a lot of large employers who are offering really innovative programs on the leave front, and that's fantastic, right? So if you fall into that category and you want to explore a voluntary plan, you definitely should do that. You should find a consultant and talk to a carrier who's well-versed in it and who can, you know, sort of make that smooth. So, um, at any rate, I know we've given you guys a lot of information today and a lot to think about. And, you know, we're just seeing more and more states take action here and fill this space. So we're going to keep you posted on, on what's going on. And we promise we'll follow up with more developments in more states. Okay, that wraps up this episode of our Compliant with Alliant podcast series, offering you a more approachable view of employee benefits compliance. For more information, visit us online at AlliantBenefits.com.